Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. If you've ever read a novel, you know there are characters in the story. There's a plot, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Well, believe it or not, you are one of the characters in an epic story. Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw with today's message. Well, good morning. My name's Tim Shaw, and uh, you haven't seen a lot of me lately. I've been with Jenny uh, Sung at The Vine. We have been hosting uh, worship services there, so it's great to be back with all my Ko'olau friends and uh, to be together. Uh, the text for this uh, message is the Apostle Paul's letter to a Christian community in the city of Colossae. Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. Yep, that is the new official name of that country. It's no longer Turkey, it's Turkey. So here's something that's really fascinating to me about uh, Colossae. The archaeological site of this ancient city has never been excavated. It remains unexplored. Here's a picture of it, of the ancient ruins of Colossae, what they look like today. That mound in that picture, also called a tell, that's just beyond the vineyard and in the foreground and in front of the great mountain range in the background is the site of Colossae, completely unexplored. I've stood on top of that mound and seen fragments of marble sticking up through the dirt, which now covers the site. It was to this place that Paul wrote a letter. And in that letter, he made an astounding assertion about the identity of Jesus Christ. He affirmed the deity of Jesus in unmistakable terms. Jesus of Nazareth was actually God in human flesh. To get started today, I'm gonna steal uh, an illustration from our friend Andy Croft of Soul Survivor in Watford, England. This is not the first time I have nicked him, as they would say in the UK. When Andy was here, I ch chatted, I sort of confessed that to him uh, about the last time I stole one of his brilliant illustrations. But before we focus in on what Paul wrote in, to this letter to the Christians in Colossae, I wanna show you an interview that took place just a few weeks ago. Recently, I heard Andy Croft talk with the Soul Survivor Church about one of his favorite stories about the Queen of England who is celebrating her jubilee year. She's been queen for 70 years. So let's watch this very interesting interview, sort of an insight into the queen that I didn't know from Sky News in the UK. Tell me about your role within the royal family. I was very, very lucky. Um, I spent 30 years at Buckingham Palace as a royalty protection officer. I spent three years looking after the queen's youngest son, Prince Edward. And then I spent... That was up at Cambridge? Yes, it was at Cambridge yeah. University. Uh, that's where I first met Alistair. Okay. And then I spent 13 and a half years as personal protection officer to His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. And then I was lucky enough to spend the last 14 years of my career as the Queen's personal protection officer, a position called the Queen's police officer, until I retired. About in... her wit and charm, how did you find her? Oh, uh, I would give you 101 examples of her, her wit and her charm. And would you like some? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, please. Go for it. Uh, yeah, well. It's one o'clock. Okay. Well, one of my favourite stories is when we were at Balmoral, 
And the Queen used to go up there in May to Crogowan House and just stay there privately for a weekend. And she would go up at lunchtime for picnics. And very often, it would just be the police officer and Her Majesty. And one of the picnics I went out with her, we had a lovely picnic and a lovely chat. And then we went for a little walk, just the two of us. And normally, on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody. But there was two hikers coming towards us, and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognised the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? <laughs> and she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. <laughs> And he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thinking. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. I and as quick as a flash, she says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. <laughs> so the guy said to me, well, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times. <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes around, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? <laughs> anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that story. I too would have loved to be a fly on the wall when our fellow American got home and started showing his pictures to his friends. Hey, look at this. Here's a guy that I met who has met the queen. <laughs> and here's me with some random kupuna senior woman. Uh, I don't know who she was. And, uh, uh, but she was with the guy who had actually met the queen. So here's what I love about Andy's illustration. That American hiker just demonstrated that you can know about the queen, you can have heard about the queen and still not realize who it is that's standing in front of you. And that story made me wonder, do we understand who Jesus Christ really is? I don't know about you, but I've been following the progress of the James Webb Space Telescope this week. Uh, it took about 20 years and about $10 billion to build that amazing scientific instrument and launch it into space. It's now in position 1.2 million miles from the Earth and has started to survey the universe. Let me show you just two of the images we received this past week. And as I stared at these images, I couldn't help but think about what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20 about Jesus Christ. The claim that Paul makes is that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Think about that. In the images from the James Webb Telescope, we're looking back over 13 billion years. It's taken the light from some of those galaxies over 13 billion years to reach the James Webb Telescope. That's how vast the universe is. Consider the power it takes to create all that is in those images. And now let's listen to what Paul says in verse 16 of Colossians 1. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and earth and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything in those images was created by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. Everything and everyone on this planet was created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Do we really understand who he is? In Colossians chapter 1, Paul makes one of the clearest statements in the New Testament about the identity of Jesus. Paul is going to tell us who Jesus is, and what he says is unambiguous and astounding. This statement is a work of art. It's poetry. So if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul writes in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me just offer a prayer. God, we pray that you would be our teacher, that you would guide us and lead us into the truth. And not just um, that this would be sort of academic cognitive exercise, but that we would encounter you this morning. Come Holy Spirit and fill this place and fill our hearts and draw us deeper into a relationship with you or into a relationship with you for the very first time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, even though uh, archaeologists have yet to explore Colossae, we're going to uncover some of the riches to be found in this text. But before digging into these verses, I want to zoom out and see if we can, once again, get a 30,000-foot view of the grand story being told in the Bible. I want to do this before looking at the passage in Colossians, so that when we do, the significance of what Paul is asserting is as clear as possible. So, here we go. If you and I decide to um, read a novel or watch a TV series, and for some really weird reason we decide to start in the middle of the book, um, or part of the way through, we will have missed some really important information about the characters, the places they live, about what, what's already happened in the story. When I started watching an eight-part TV series called WandaVision, anybody else watched WandaVision? I initially had no idea what was going on because I didn't know the backstory. Before I started watching this series, I had friends who were really into it and kept asking me, are you watching WandaVision? You have to watch it, it's so good. They were right. But at the beginning, after each episode, I'd text them and say something like, what is going on in this story? Part of the reason I was lost is the story being told in WandaVision is part of a story being told in the Marvel comic book series. The producers have turned some of those comics into movies 
and I hadn't seen or remembered key moments and characters from those films. I needed to get the backstory to begin to understand what was going on in the middle of the story. The same is true when we read the Bible. It helps to know or the overarching themes to understand the significance of what we're reading here in the book of Colossians or anywhere else in the scriptures. So here they are, the four great movements in the salvation story in the Bible. First, there is creation. God created everything that exists, including you and me. We are made in the image of God. There isn't a person that you're ever going to lock eyes with where that is not the case. They are all, every person is made in the image of God. That's where the story of the Bible begins. And if we miss the beginning, we're not going to know how to relate to our fellow human beings and to the planet we're all riding on. So creation comes first, and then comes part two, the fall. Humanity messed up, and we continue to mess up big time. We decided that we knew better than God and didn't need to rely on him. So we said, thanks, but no thanks, we can take it from here. And human beings and human societies have been fractured ever since. And from generation to generation, while we do some really, really good things and have created a lot of really amazing products and medicines and processes and artwork, we still have significant difficulty getting along with one another. So creation comes first, and then our collective face plant, called the fall. Many of us Christians make a very big mistake when we start telling the story of the Bible with humanity's corporate and individualistic face plants. That's a bad place to begin the story when talking to people about Jesus. We forget that the people who have stumbled and fallen are image bearers of God. So start the story at the beginning, at creation. Everyone made in the image of God. And then next comes some really, really good news in part three of the story. God looks at our predicament and says, you cannot fix this on your own, so I'm coming down there and I'm going to fix this myself. So God sends his one and only son, Jesus, who comes to the earth and lives a perfect life and dies on a Roman cross for all the mistakes we have made. He takes on himself all of our selfish actions all of our brokenness, all of the ways we have hurt others and ourselves and dies in our place. Part three of the story is all about redemption. This is God to the rescue. He comes to save us because we can't save ourselves. We are now living in part four of this four-part story. Jesus died but was resurrected and has returned to God the Father. And God has sent to every person who puts their faith in Jesus the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we are now being filled and empowered with his Spirit. And we have a purpose. We are invited to join Jesus in what he is doing in his work of redemption. We're all headed towards the great climax of the story that God is writing. Knowing that great arc of the story being told in the Bible is super helpful. Knowing and understanding how the story being told in the scripture begins and how it ends will also play an important role in our ability to understand how we are to live our lives in the middle of the story. So we are created in the image of God, male and female, to bear his image in the world, to be God's under shepherds. We are called into a relationship of love with our creator and called to take care of all that God has created. You and I are called to cultivate relationships of radical respect and love for one another. 
But as every single one of us has, knows from personal experience, we have sometimes fractured our relationship with God and our relationships with others. And the consequences for us, the consequences for others, and the consequences for this beautiful planet have been significant. Let me illustrate that for us from a passage in the Old Testament prophetic book of Hosea. These three verses that I'm about to read are truly remarkable. I know I use that word or some form of that word or some synonym of that word a lot. But believe me, these three verses from the book of Hosea are astounding. It's set in an imaginary courtroom. The people of Israel in Hosea's day are being put on trial and God himself is the prosecutor. Hosea 4, verses 1 to 3. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. That's accusation number one. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. That is God's second charge against the people of Israel. And I don't know about you, but it's all sounding a little too close to home. Anyone else beginning to squirm just a bit? If you've been around churches like First Press or been around First Press or another evangelical church, these first two points are not surprising at all. From the time we were little kids in Sunday school, we have known that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses both, both points one and point two. We have a broken relationship with God that on our own we cannot fix. And our relationships with other people are also fractured and God wants to make us agents of reconciliation. He wants to make us peacemakers, people who can heal our broken relationships. So if you've been involved in a church like this or this one, um, none of what we're reading so far in Hosea is a surprise. Jesus came to repair our relationship with God and our relationship with others. But what comes next in Hosea may be quite surprising for some of us. Here is God's third charge against the people of Israel. God says that because of your relationship with me is broken, because your relationships with other people are also fractured, here comes the surprising consequences of all of that. Verse three, because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. So listen to the case that's being laid out against the people of Israel. When God looked at their nation, what did he see? He saw people who were untrustworthy. Their word was not their bond. In fact, the country was filled with lying instead of the loving kindness that characterizes the very heart of Israel's God. What was found in Hosea's Israel was killing, stealing, adultery, violence, and murder after murder. The heart of this chaos, there was a profound lack of understanding and knowledge about who God actually is. The people had simply not been properly taught about God. They did not know about God's faithfulness in the past, his saving acts on their behalf, the ways that God had blessed them and called them to be a blessing to others. Consequently, the people did not acknowledge God as the one true God, and that made them vulnerable to worship false gods, and those false gods were destroying their lives. 
Since Israel did not truly acknowledge God as Savior and the giver of good gifts, their relationship with God was fundamentally out of order. And when our relationship with God is disordered, then all our relationships begin to break down. In Hosea 4, verse 2, God makes seven charges against the people of Israel, and each one has to do with wrongdoing against their neighbor. The first two have to do with the misuse of words. People were cursing one another, calling down evil in the name of the Lord on each other. That, my friends, has been happening across our nation, inside churches and outside churches. God says they were spreading lies about one another. The remaining charges can all be found in the Ten Commandments. The country was full of killing and murder, stealing adultery, and riddled with violence. According to Hosea 4, verses 1 to 3, what have human beings broken? Our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with God's beautiful creation. That, my friends, is happening today. And God wants to bring healing and restoration to all three of these broken relationships. It's so important to know how the story of the Bible begins and how it ends in order to understand how we are to live in the middle of it, which is where you and I are living. We were created in the image of God to be bearers of his image in the world and trusted to take care of all that God has created. The world belongs to God. The people of the world belong to God. The wider creation belongs to God. And we are called to take care of it all. As a backpacker, I learned how important it is to leave no trace as I hike my way through the wilderness camp alongside a beautiful stream. As much as possible, I need to minimize my impact on the land. I've applied that lesson uh, every time I've been a house guest in someone else's home. Leave no trace. That means I empty the trash in my room. I strip the bedding and put it either on the washing machine or on top of it. I wipe down the sink and the shower and the bathroom I've been using. I might even clean the toilet Dirty towels end up in the laundry room as well. I do this all before my hosts know what's happening so they won't stop me from doing it. Why do I do this? Because I know that everything I've been enjoying belongs to someone else that I care about. But here's what I'm also discovering. While leave no trace is a good start, it's not enough. We should aim to leave a place better than when we found it. For example, some of you know this story. When you sit on your friend's particle board slipper rack <laughs> and accidentally smash it to smithereens, you buy them a new one that a person can sit on while putting on their shoes. Yes, I did do that. Last week, Life360, our friends in Kaka'ako, used the vine for an event. And you know what? After they were done, the vine was in better shape than when they found it. So can our workplace become a better place to work because we're working there? Can our communities be healthier places for everyone because we live there? Can our families, our relationships be places where people can grow and thrive because we've been there? That's the real challenge that we face. That's what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in our world and in our lives. He's making this world and the people in it better. And he's inviting you and me to join him in that good work. 
The people of Israel were called to be a blessing to the other nations of the world. Did they live that out? Not exactly. Are we, the Church of Jesus Christ, living that out? Or have we primarily been concerned about creating a fortress to escape from the world instead of being a conduit of God's blessing to the world around us? How does the story God is writing end? We know the answer to that as well. In the end, at the end of time, the earth and the heaven will be made new. God is making all things new. That's what he's doing now and will do in the future. He's not making all new things. Our future is not on a cloud. Our future is on this remade planet in the new Jerusalem where people from all nations will gather to worship him. So how are we as followers of Jesus here in the middle of this salvation story to live? We are called by God to be transformed by his spirit so that we might be agents of transformation in our world. We are called to bring God's healing and hope to others and to the world that he created. We are not just called to survive. We're called to co cooperate with God so that the lives we touch, the places we live, will actually thrive. That means that you and I are going to be asked to do some heroic, courageous things with our lives. God is inviting us into what he is doing in the world to put things right. What an incredible invitation to be a part of God's good work. Each one of us has a unique calling and a post that he is calling us to serve at. For some of us, that post is in the church, like mine is. But most of the rest of us, our post is in the marketplace, in the community. So we're gonna be called to do some heroic things, but we have to remember that as we seek to follow Jesus and join him in the work he is doing, there is really only one true hero of this story that God is writing, and that one hero is Jesus Christ. We need to get that straight if we want to be agents of renewal and to be able to be a part of what God's doing to transform our world. This is what the Apostle Paul is inviting the Christians in Colossae remember. Do they really understand who the hero of the story is? Do they really know Jesus? Do we? Is Jesus the hero of our lives? Is he really the one we are looking to, to shape who we are and show us what we should care about? Let me read this passage once again from Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This, my friends, is what God has done and is doing for us in Jesus. This is the difference Jesus is making in our lives. 
The hope of the gospel is that Jesus is holding all things together. You and I live in a world that continues to fracture right before our eyes. Are we the cause of some of that fracturing? Most likely. And when we are, will we acknowledge that to ourselves and confess it to those we have hurt and join Jesus in seeking the healing and restoration of our broken world? Brothers and sisters, this is a very serious question. Are we contributing to the fracturing of our world by our actions or our words, by our anger and our unwillingness to listen and understand one another, or by our readiness to cancel people we don't agree with? Or will we be agents of reconciliation? Will we be a part of God's healing work in the world? The world desperately needs a community of people will show how we can live in a different way. So how is God calling each one of us in our spheres of influence, in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces, in the classrooms where we learn to show this Jesus to others by the way we live our lives and by what we say? In the closing verses of Colossians chapter 1 that we didn't have time to read today, Paul tells us that we have incredible news to share. Paul calls it a mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. We now get to disclose what was once hidden. And here it is. God himself will live in us when we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ. The mystery now revealed is that Christ lives in us and because he does, that is our hope of glory. And because he does, he has the power to hold us together when we feel like we're going to split apart in anger or fear or grief. He has the power to hold together our church, our community, our nation, our world. And he wants to use you and me to bring hope and reconciliation. Jesus has a great vision for us and our world. The story God is writing is leading to what the Apostle John saw at the end of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. In his vision, he saw people from all nations coming together to worship God in the new Jerusalem on a remade earth. Friends, let's not continue to contribute to the fracturing of our world. Let's join Jesus in what he is doing to hold all things together. Let's make this our prayer. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We praise you, God, for your incredible gifts of love and grace, for the vision that you have for your world, to bring healing and restoration to our relationships with you, to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation to our broken relationships with others in our lives, and to be used by you to care for the creation that you have entrusted to us. I thank you for the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ who made all of this possible. And maybe you're here this morning or listening to this at some other time um, that you've never made a commitment 
to this, this God that we have discovered in Jesus Christ. So I just want to, if you want to commit your life to him, he is ready to receive you and welcome you into his family. I just want to pray with me silently this prayer. God, I'm sorry for all that I've done, the ways that I have been consumed mostly with myself. Forgive me for the ways that I have hurt others, turned my back on you, wounded myself. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for taking all of that brokenness and rebellion upon yourself, Jesus, dying in our place so that we might be given the gift of your righteousness as a free gift when we say yes to you. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might be agents of your kingdom, showing people who you are and joining you in the work of restoration that you are doing in our world and in us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You please stand. If you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, there's friends um, over here in the prayer room. Be happy to pray um, with you. Uh, if you're online, um, you just need to Click that button that says to request prayer and someone will join you in a, in a private chat room. And I'm happy to pray for you. And now we see this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. We are not just readers of this story we are participants. Even more, like Pastor Tim says, we are agents of God himself, doing his work, helping to bring healing and reconciliation to our broken world. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also listen to First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. First Prez invites you to church. Join us in person or online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at the Vine, or online at the websites. Remember, when you do visit our websites, check out the news page to keep up with all that's happening at First Prez. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you. Stay safe and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.